everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for episode 102. Today, we have a very special guest author on our show, Peter Abrahams, a.k.a. Spencer Quinn, the award-winning, best-selling author known especially for, among our community, Chet and Bernie series, which many of you know and enjoy. We know this will be a fun-filled episode today. I'm Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Hey, Kathy. Hi, everybody. Welcome. We're so glad you're all here today. And I will turn this back over to you, Kathy, to do the rest of the introduction. Thank you. Let me tell you all a little bit about Peter Abrahams, a.k.a. Spencer Quinn. On his website, Peter tells us about his excitement for reading as a youngster and the development and interest in his career as a writer. He currently lives in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. He began by writing standalones, meaning novels which are not series, such as Lights Out, The Fan, which was filmed by Tony Scott and included a cast which included Robert De Niro, Oblivion, and End of Story. A little later, he also started writing for younger readers, beginning with the Echo Falls series, which centered around the life of a 13-year-old Ingrid. He took advantage of being the father of four children, plus his own prior experience as a 13-year-old. Speaking of family, Peter says that they are the most important thing in his life his wife and his children, and they are the only people who read his books while he's still writing them. His Chet and Bernie series are among his most popular, and they include a private investigator along with his canine partner. To add to the fun, the dog, Chet, is the narrator in these compelling, often humorous, detective adventures. We know we'll have a fun-filled interview and conversation with Peter today. Take it away, Cheryl. Thank you. Hi, Peter. Welcome. We're so glad you're here with us. What is one thing that you would like to tell everyone about Peter or Spencer or both? One thing about me, you know, it's really up to others to kind of fasten on that. The image of writers is that they tend to be introspective. And I don't think I really am. All the inside stuff, I actually find out when I'm doing the writing. It's, and it, it, that's when it comes out of me. But I would say this, it's ever since I was very little, I think I've had a sense of fun, something childlike, I, I hope not childish about me still remains. So if it came down to one thing, I think a sense of fun. Where did the name Spencer Quinn come from? In the introduction, you were talking about my standalones, and there were 17 in all. That's how sort of my career began. And it was around the time of Lights Out, which was an Edgar nominee that year. And that was the one where I really learned what it was I wanted to do in the crime fiction field. And that was I wanted to do a, 
you know, a book with a compelling plot, because if you don't have that in crime fiction, you've got nothing. But as you go up the totem pole of crime fiction, then you find ones that have characters and writers who can do something with tone and mood and good dialogue and good writing. But at the very tip top, I think are ones that have thematic material. They're actually about something. And that's what I aim for. And I think in the book Lights Out is where I first sort of realized how to do that. But all these books I'm talking about were fairly dark. Skipping ahead to how the idea of Doggone It, the first of the Chet and Bernie mysteries came to me. When I wrote that book and sent it to my agent, she was extremely enthusiastic. There wasn't any problem about finding a publisher. But she said, you know, this is lighter than your previous book. And also the Chet and Bernie books are written from the first person. And that first person narrator is a dog. Okay, so I, all my other writing had been third person up until that point. Summing up, my agent said she was worried that the audience for this series, well, book to start with, they might be misled. They might not be there if we went with Peter Abrahams because they'd be expecting something darker, etc. That's how the idea of this pen name for the Chet and Bernie series came about. But at the beginning, um, I believed I signed on for Dog on It, which was the first, and Thereby Hangs a Tale, which was the second, and that was it. We had no idea that, that they were going to catch on. And, and in fact, the 14th Chet and Bernie up on the rooftop is coming out in October. So Spencer Quinn, which was the pen name, it kind of captured me and my career and, and really took it over. And now marketing, mm -hmm. marketing is the club they hit you over the head with if, if you have ideas of your own. Marketing thinks that my book should be put out under the Spencer Quinn name. And so even though this summer, I Mrs. Plansky's Revenge, which is not a Chet and Bernie novel, is coming out this summer, and it's much more Peter Abrahamsy, it's still going under the name Spencer Quinn. I bet you wish you hadn't asked that question. No, not at all. I, I appreciate you answering it after all these many times, years, you've been asked that question. I've ever given an answer as quite as long-winded as that one. Oh, so. well, we're very fortunate. Thank you. It was mentioned in the introduction, I did that Echo Falls series about Ingrid, the 13-year-old girl. Mm. And since then, I've done some other children's writing too. But the Chet and Bernie series which are these detective novels featuring Bernie, the detective, the private mm -hmm. eye, and Chet, his dog, who narrates the story in the first person. These are not for children. Now, I know, mm -hmm. you know, I get emails and social media. I know that, uh, you know, lots of teenagers read them, and, and I don't think there's anything uh, inappropriate for, for most teenagers. That's not the audience I had in mind. Kathy, you want to take over? I've really enjoyed the Chet and Bernie series because I love detective books and mysteries and I love animals and I love when authors do something different, Peter. So thank you very much for all your work in these. Let me ask you, what came into your decision about casting the dog as the narrator? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Because, I mean, if anything marks this series as different, it's that, that, you know, chat from start to finish. In other words, there are no scenes, no chapters. There's nothing that's being told by anyone else. The whole story from A to Z is being told by Chet. Here's how it happened. One night, 
at dinner, my wife said, you should do something with dogs. Now, I've had in a lot of my previous work, including some of the books um, that you named in the introduction, there were, Oblivion is a good example. Um, there were dogs, but they were only there in sort of what, I don't know, trot on roles. You, you didn't see inside them. And of course it was all third person. I remember there's a dog named Buster in Oblivion who, I hadn't even thought about the dogs in my work. They were there, but then a, a reviewer, I think for the LA Times pointed out, you know, something about the dogs in my work. And I, so it was in the back of my mind, but it was when my wife said, you should do something with dogs, you know, and the novel writing business is very funny because sometimes six months worth of work can happen in 30 seconds. Most of the time, not. It's kind of the opposite, but sometimes that can happen. So within 30 seconds of my wife saying that you should do something with dogs, I had the following three sort of components. One, I knew that I wanted to write a detective novel that featuring you know, a, a, a detective and his buddy in which the buddy tells the story. So this format goes all the way back to Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, where mm -hmm. Dr. Watson tells the story. So I was going to steal that classic format. And then the second part was that this buddy is going to be a dog. The buddy was going to tell the story, a la Dr. Watson. But the third part, and this is the most important, it was this dog narrator was going to be as purely canine as I could make him. <laughs> he would not know anything a dog shouldn't know. He would not be <laughs> a human wrapped in a dog suit. He wouldn't know about Mozart or anything like that that would immediately catch the reader's attention and take them out of the story. And they're thinking, no, it's not really a dog, but you know, the writer is doing something arch with us. Mm -hmm. so, so my wife said that, and I have an office that's over our garage. It's a detached garage. So I have like this 15 second commute to work, which is important for psychological reasons. So after dinner, I went over and I wrote what became the first page of Dog on it, just to, to see what it looked like, like if this worked or if it was just silly. And uh, I wrote it, you know, it took 15 minutes and I, I came back into the house and my wife read it and, and we voted two to zero that it worked. If the kids had been home, we might have lost four to two and there wouldn't have been a Chet and Bernie series. So that, <laughs> that's the way it began. But one of the things that happens, you know, when you, well, for the way I write anyway, where I don't do much in the way of outlining and I sort of discover a lot about the story, you know, in situ while I'm doing it, all sorts of things happen because of this narrator. Here's one little thing, for example. Oh, I don't know. Sometime after a, a book or two in the series had come out, uh, one day at the publishers, there was a meeting apparently, and someone said, Have you noticed that all like the descriptions, the visual descriptions in this book aren't from sort of human head height? They're mm -hmm. from down lower, you know, where mm -hmm. dog height would be. Did he, meaning the writer, do this deliberately? So my editor called me and just said exactly what I just said. You know, did I do it deliberately? And the answer is, it was the first I'd heard of. I, <laughs> I, I didn't do it deliberately. This is where writing is hard work. I mean, we can all go back to high school and remember 
having to write themes and essays. And it was hard work. Well, for those of you who stopped doing any writing at that point, I'm here to assure you that it's still hard work decades later. But there are a lot of wonderful, joyful things about it. And one is your tool is your imagination. And so, you know, when you're writing, you're bringing the imagination to play. So my imagination on its own just did these visual descriptions down from where Chet's head height would be. And I didn't realize it until I was told. And that's, I hope I'm expressing this so you can understand it, but, but that kind of thing, this goes right back to fun in life. You know, when you ask me to define in one sentence, me, but you get fun in life when something like that happens. Sounds like your method of writing Chet and Bernie is part of your method is immersing yourself in the point of view of Chet. That's exactly correct. I and so you, you totally immerse yourself and write from that perspective and kind of block out the human perspective and really try to take on the viewpoint of Chet. That's exactly right. If I can make one little amendment, mm -hmm. and that would be, I don't do any blocking out. This voice of Chet from the get-go just, just came to me. And if I sit down to write, you know, on the keyboard, the, the voice is there almost immediately. And I, I just love writing in the voice and it kind of, kind of takes over. Now, I'm not saying that this is like some automatic writing or anything like that, because it's not. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things you, in mystery writing, I think I mentioned earlier that plotting is very important. And, and the plotting of a mystery novel is actually resembles or is a parallel to the solving of a real criminal case in, well, you, you know, you line, you gather up a bunch of clues and you put them in a logical order and make a deduction. Well, you know, Chet can't do that. Um, and even if he could, in the middle of assembling these clues, he might sniff a Cheeto under the couch and he misses it. <laughs> Right. So, so I discovered that he was an unreliable narrator. You know, I didn't intend him to be. He just, he is an unreliable narrator. And for me, that meant the whole like traditional structure of the blown up, that made it hard work in some ways because you have to, you know, tell an intelligible story. But in other words, in other ways, I think it made it unusual and, and fun. Similarly, um, Oh, and this may be given, or I maybe shouldn't be saying that um, anyone who knows and has and loves dogs, you know, the sense of sight is not paramount. It's, you know, their sense of smell is so incredible and also their sense of hearing. So they, a lot of the, what goes on in, uh, in the Chet and Bernie mysteries is actually, because it's coming through the mind of Chet and sort of the entry points for him, are a lot smells and and sounds that all that is on the page and and of course some of that makes him a wonderful detective because he can sniff things and smell things that some put, times put him way ahead of Bernie the detective now because he has problems with logic at other times he's he's behind so he's back and forth wherever you know over where the truth lies and I, I think that you know, that I hope anyway, you know, makes it 
interesting too. You answered part of my question that I was going to ask is, how do you think that you make the story especially interesting? And I think it is that interplay between Chet's limitations, his strengths and limitations, and Bernie's strengths and limitations. There's an interplay there that's bouncing back and forth. Um, I really love the way that if I could say Chet kind of looks down his nose at humans' lack of smell ability, and, and he, he really feels sad for humans that we're so deficient in that area. It's pretty, he's pretty hysterical little character, you know? Yes, he, he does. It, it kind of astonishes him. You know, he doesn't really disparage us for that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have a mean bone in his body, I don't think. Now, at the same time, he's a rough, a big, rough, tough guy who can take care of himself and who can handle all these perps, but he's not mean. But yes, he's also with this sense of hearing, like he, you know, he, he remarks that, you, you know, Bernie will hear something that and say, oh, did you hear that? And whatever it is, Chet's been hearing it for half an hour, right? And, <laughs> and, um, and, and Chet thinks to himself, you know, he looks closely at Bernie's ears and they don't seem small, you know, why, why can't they work? Um, yeah, it's another way of looking at the world, right? And that's, mm -hmm. I think, some, some of what we like to get in fiction. And with Chet, you, in certain ways, you, you kind of get it in spades. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Over to you, Cheryl. Where can people get your book? Both at independent stores and online, Amazon, Barnes mm -hmm. & Noble, mm -hmm. iTunes. Mm -hmm. Probably some of your listeners are aware of. These are all on audio. And Jim Franjoan, who does the voice of Chet, he's fabulous. Chet has a blog, chetthedog.com. He's also on Facebook mm -hmm. at chetthedog.com and Twitter. Lots of people who, fall, who go there and ask wonderful questions and, you know, and, and, have, and have lots of, of good input. If you're looking for Spencer Quinn or Peter Abrahams, it'll all go to the same place. And then the, it'll also show the places where the Chet the Dog is. Chanel, do we have some hands? We do. We have Musi sure. followed by Carol. Listen, I don't care how many names you write under. I love your writing. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank and, you uh, so much. Yes. And uh, I, I'm going to read all of your, uh, now that I know that I can have another whole series to read, but I love how the dog likes the humans that are good for his master. You know, it's a very emotional dog. I love it. Oh, thank you so much. That's, that's very nice. I remember I was at the Tucson Book Festival and someone in the audience said, what do you do about writer's block? And I said, I actually never had it. I knocked on wood at that point. And I said, the reason is whenever I think I'm not sure where to go, I remember the beating heart of the story. I think back to that. What is the beating heart of the story? What's the engine making this go? Whenever I do that, it, it suggests a narrative to go on after that. And the beating heart of the Chet and Bernie mysteries is the love between Chet and Bernie. Next is Carol. Thank you, Peter. What a delight. I have two things. That was so brilliant that you were going to do it from the height of the dog. And then it came as a surprise to you when someone mentioned that. I thought that was so interesting uh, that that happened. And I'll, I'll let that question sit. But I also always want to know, what's your writing process? How do you write 
I know how I get things done. And sometimes it's a little bit, he'll, you know, here and there and everywhere. I think here, there and everywhere defines what this is all about. When I began my career, I, in my very first book, which goes all the way back to 1980, I, that's how long I've been doing this. You know, I, I, you know, naturally I was afraid to, you know, launch myself. So I, I wrote a, an outline, an A through Z outline and then, and started, and, and it took a couple months, right? And then, um, you know, so I'm writing away and I got to around where the letter C is, would be in my outline. And all of a sudden, one of the characters blurted out something that was way better than anything I had thought of, but it was <laughs> going to involve changing everything from D on to the end. And that day I, I made this sort of, well, I wouldn't want to call it a vow, but I, I said to myself, you know, if something comes out of the blue, you know, that you didn't work mm -hmm. for, it just came to you, then that's the kind of, if there's such a thing as inspiration and that's it, that's what you're hoping for. So go with that. Don't stick to the blueprint. If, you know, this just came from out of the blue, even if it's going to make things difficult, if something good comes like that, well, you know, ch change the plan around it. And, and so that's, still how I proceed. So, but on a day-to-day -day basis, I try to write a, a thousand words a day. I hardly ever do it, but I at least do something. So I'm advancing the story. And when I get to the end of a chapter, I read it over and, and of course, little warning bells go off where there's something wrong. And I, I don't go on to the next chapter until all the warning bells have been silent. It's only then that I go on. So when I get to the end, I've actually, in the course of doing it, I've actually revised the whole thing. So I know mm -hmm. that wow. Dark to the Future, which is the last Chet and Bernie, um, I finished that book on a Friday and I sent it into the publisher on Monday. I read it over on the weekend. I think I changed one name. Oh, that's so, so easy to do now. You just do a find and replace. But that's my method. Everybody has to find their own method. So I'm not saying this in a way that, oh, you have to do it like this because that's the last thing I'd want to say. Hi, I'm Susan. I <laughs> love your books and they bring such joy in my life. I have to say, especially the Chet and Bernie, but all of them are fantastic. One of the things I really like are the side characters. So, for example, in the Chet and Bernie books, the neighbors. Yes. And I'm wondering where you get the inspiration, because those are all done with such humanity that, and they seem so real. So I was wondering if there's inspiration. The other question is a technical one, which is which software do you use to write? Oh, well, let's do that first. I mean, I just use Microsoft Word. As for the supporting characters, Chet and Bernie live on Mesquite Road in, in what's called the Valley. I think it's clear to a lot of readers that it's got to be in Arizona somewhere. It's a, it's a big metropolitan area, but surrounded by vast desert. And that's what I wanted because I, you know, I wanted Chet to be, have both like urban, gritty urban experience, but also actual wilderness with wild creatures, you know, because he's got that in him. So it's kind of based on Phoenix, but the vibe is much more Tucson and it's called the Valley. So they live on Mesquite Road and next door on one side is this elderly couple in not very good health as the series goes along named the Parsons. And, and they have a little dog named Iggy 
and who doesn't get out much, if at all, anymore. But Chattanooga are best pals. As for the humanity, I like the Parsons. I like that old couple. Next up is Kim. I love reading books about animals, especially when the animal in the story gets get to say what they're thinking, put their two cents in. I love that. I, I wish, you know, more animals could be <laughs> heroes. <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you for writing books about animals. I'm not big into murder mysteries and stuff, but Chet and Bernie have got my attention. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. The Chet and Bernies are available in large print as well. I don't know if that's a useful thing to know. Yes, it is. Thank you. Peter, this is one of your big fans here. There she is, Marlene. <laughs> oh, very nice. I think I see you here. Hi, Marlene. Hi, Peter. Oh, my goodness. I am so amazed to be talking to you. When you wrote that song at the end of for Heart of Darkness, I cried. I mean, it was so phenomenal. Um, I'd like you to speak about that a little bit, but I'd like to ask you, how many books are there in the Echo Fall series? The Echo Fall series, a middle grade series, I would say, but a lot of adults have actually read them. There are three. It's really a trilogy. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, but your characterization is phenomenal. I you haven't mentioned Bertie and Bowser and Queenie and Arthur, which are very good as well. I'm, I also have The Bright Side, and I've got all of the books, but they are just not Chet and Bertie. I mean, Chet is, I love your characterization, how you start with, you'll start to say something and then you'll drop it. And then Bernie gets into this really trouble situation, and then we, we're off with Chet floating down the, the bayou or something. <laughs> It's just phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then I I did, um, I think once I actually posted something on your blog. My husband, when he was alive, was a Mastiff breeder, a large large breed working dog. And we had a picture with two of them in the back of the truck. And I put that. I just love your Chet and Bernie. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Um, (laughs) What you, Marlene, what you're talking about there is Chet's being an unreliable narrator. Uh, at the same time being very true to himself. So I love writing the character. As for Heart of Bark, well, first of all, I should say that all this whole series can actually be read in any order. It, you know, people ask me, you know, what order should they be read in? And well, that's that's a question Chet would never ask. You could read the last, the last one, Bark to the Future, as your very first one, and and you wouldn't be confused. I make sure that enough threads are tied to whatever's gone on that you need to know but so in heart of darkness which was a few books ago um it concerned something that had happened long ago in the in the life of of this sort of has been almost never was country music singer named lottie pilgrim and at the end i thought well you know she's going to write a song for chet now that you know she because of this investigation she now understands what went wrong in her life decades ago and why it went wrong. And although it's in a way terrible to know all that at the same time, it's cleansing and now she can kind of move on. So she writes this song for Chad. And so I wrote out the, you know, the lyrics of this song. And I have a friend who's done a lot of work with, you know, a lot of musicians in the past. 
the man, I told him about this and he, he said, oh, send me, send me those lyrics. And I said, I'll, I'll send you the whole first draft of the book. You can read it, which he did. And then he got called me and he said, do you want this to be a real song? And I said, what? And he said, well, I, I know people. <laughs> he got in touch with, you know, these musicians in Austin and this whole song with some of these terrific musicians, like, like the fiddle break is played by Gene Elders who plays with George Strait. I mean, he, you know, all these people, um, the guitarist for Leonard Cohen's band and, and, and they wrote a whole musical thing and did this song for Chet. That's a real song. And, you know, it's on, I mean, you can find on YouTube. Oh, and then they did a, a whole little movie that goes along with it. So it's a little, has a separate life of its own. That's on YouTube and um, Spotify and all, all that kind of place. So this was like this joyful event that came out of nowhere to me. So I'm glad you like the song because I had nothing to do with it and I like it too. Jerry Barrier. Hi, Good afternoon. Hi, everybody. And uh, wow, what a what a privilege. I've been reading the Chet and Bernie mysteries for quite a while, and I introduced them to my wife not long ago. And she is sighted and I'm blind. And we took a long road trip recently and read an entire book, listened to it on audio, and absolutely loved it. But I, I especially like the patience Bernie shows toward Chet and the understanding that Bernie has of him. I think that's wonderful. And I also love it when, when Chet starts to feel this something like a fan behind him and then realize it's his own tail wagging. <laughs> Beautiful. I absolutely love it. It's a pleasure to listen to you. Thank you. Oh, thank, well, thank you very, very much. Okay, Tim, no, go ahead. How do you get into the mind of a dog? Do you have your own dog? What's the process that you did to, to uh, do that? Oh, that's, Tim, that's a great question. The process in one word is osmosis. Uh, we've always had dogs. There's no way I could have attempted or even maybe even ha had the idea in the first place had we not always had dogs. So at the moment we have two, Dottie and Pearl. We've had as many as three at the same time. And I, I mentioned earlier in this broadcast, I don't know if you were here then, but you know, my office is above the garage and and we're on this salt marsh on Cape Cod and, and our dogs run free on the properties. You know, a writer at work, if you were watching a writer at work, you know, they're staring out the window a lot, doing what yeah. appears to be nothing and often is nothing. But during all these periods of looking out the window, there would be the dogs and, you know, doing stuff. Um, like maybe a coyote would come out of, of the marsh and, and they'd get enraged and chase the coyote away or, or they'd try to catch a squirrel and not be able to, but then they'd do the same thing a thousand times and still not be able to. So I would observe all this dog behavior, but I wasn't taking notes or doing organized research. But I think then when it came time to write Chet and Bernie, there was all this sort of well of, I don't want to use a highfalutin word like knowledge, but but of input that I that I had that was, you know, waiting, you know, waiting there for me and and I was able to to use that so that's a great question and and so I did very little organized research I did some but not too much is there anything else that you weren't asked that you would like to share we would love to have you give any other insight that you might want to give us well I'm no great one for insights um mm -hmm. 
I, well, first of all, I just want to say that I really, readers mean, and that I include in that, of course, listeners, you know, anyone absorbing mm -hmm. my work in any way, mean a tremendous amount to me. I'm not doing this to please myself. It's, it's mm -hmm. for sure to entertain readers, but my way, for me, at least me as a reader, when I'm being entertained, I you know, a meal that's just dessert. I, mm -hmm. you know, I want the steak too, and, and, a, and a couple drinks. You know, I want a full experience and that's what I'm, you know, and that's what I'm trying to do. And, and then I shouldn't, I mean, I should mention once, once more, the next book, which is not a Chet and Bernie, um, it comes out in July. It's Mrs. Plansky's Revenge. And mm -hmm. perhaps your listeners would like it too. But the next Chet and Bernie book, Up on the Wooftop, comes out in October. That's all written. They did a fabulous mm -hmm. cover. You can go online and see the cover they did. It was just finished mm -hmm. the other day. And that's all mm -hmm. done. And I'm now uh, working on the next Chet and Bernie for after that. And it's interesting that someone brought up the the Parsons next door because they in the book I'm writing now, they're very important. Carla Hayes. Okay. I had an interesting question. I, I write a lot of um, children's stories and poems from the viewpoint of animals. And I actually wrote a story in uh, which I'm trying to mold into a book um, from the point of view of a guide dog. And my question is some of the challenge that I come up with when I'm writing from these animals and I sort of anthropomorphize them is um, how do you prevent yourself from slipping into um, a human point of view and uh, not um, writing or saying something that's inappropriate for the animals, um, you know, thinking or a frame of reference. I know that sounds like a silly question, but I, I'm interested to see how you might answer this. Well, there's nothing silly about that question. And, and that's a real writer's question. I can only speak from my own experience, but I'm in the, I'm doing this in the first person. I don't know if you're attempting that same method, but this voice just takes over with me in the framework of what I'm doing. I don't think about it consciously, but I can't be doing things that Chet wouldn't do. But at the same time, you have to tell an intelligible story. So one of the things that happens is there's thought that's going on in Chet's mind, but there's also mm -hmm. description of things that he sees, hears, and smells. And so the reader can be informed just like any other story that way. Plus there's dialogue when the humans speak to each other and that is heard by Chet. And even if he doesn't understand it, it's, you know, that makes it to the page. So that's a way where I'm not really slipping out of, it's maybe you might even call it a bit sneaky. I'm not sneaking out, I'm not leave, slipping out of the framework but sort of within the framework, I'm establishing things that the reader will accept that, that are believable and it's still chat, but the story will keep advancing and will make sense. I hope that comes close to answering at least a bit of your question. Do you ever laugh out loud when you're writing? <laughs> well, I shouldn't admit that. <laughs> Why I do. I think it's a great thing. You have fun. <laughs> Yes, sometimes that happens. It's shameful, but sometimes it happens. Thank you so much for being here with us. This has been wonderful. Thank you for your time and for 
your graciousness. I know I speak for everyone by saying thank you so much. Kathy? Thank you so much, Peter, for joining us today. The pleasure. Yes. Was mine. I just want to, and thanks yeah. to everybody who had questions. They were great. And it was, thank, thank you. you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's great to have you here with us. So the prompt. You want to share the prompt? Yeah. I do. So you get 75 words or less. And believe it or not, the, there is an actual word called MacGyver because everybody calls me MacGyver. So there's a MacGyver, Jerry, your words are MacGyver, Jerry rigged and Sparrow. Have fun with that. I know I'm going to <laughs> carry on, Kathy. <laughs> okay. Next few weeks, we'll be back on our schedule of the first and third Fridays of the month. Uh, we got interrupted with the holidays. So next week is the third Friday. We'll be back on for with a live Zoom call for Web Design for Authors, a book launch for the newest book that Cheryl and I are publishing. We hope you'll join us. And then the first week of May on Friday, we're going to have Christine Anston will be our guest author. And she's been on our show a couple of times. And she has a very different uh, writing venue of sci-fi. So we're looking forward to that. Be sure to visit writingworkswonders.com for these show notes and plenty of resources. Above all else, we want you to enjoy the wonder of writing, to be encouraged and inspired. We look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.